Amen. If you would open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, we're going to look at chapter 4. We're going to really spend um, quite a bit of time in verses 25 through the end. Um, at the well, at, our, at my home church, we've been teaching through the book of Ephesians. And um, we're really, as, as a baby church that we are, uh, we thought it important to teach first in the book of Galatians, and we learned about doctrine and then living in the Spirit, and now we're teaching through Ephesians uh, to the church at Ephesus, the letter Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, um, about what it actually looks like. What, what is a church? What are we as a church body? Uh, who are we? What should we be? And so today, if you're a note taker, which I know some of you are note takers, um, we're going to talk about, we, we have a saying, and it, we, we didn't originate it, but it's, uh, it, you hear it all the time, be the church, don't go to church. Don't just go to church, but be the church. And so, it really, this, this time that I have to share with you is really a kind of eight things that we can be, the letters B-E, we can be these eight things. Um, and we'll be the church if we actually be these eight things. And so um, I think Paul does a good job of kind of describing them out. Um, one of the things I don't normally do, nor is customary for, for most preachers, but I like to let the text drive the message rather than try and build a message and then try and fit text to what I want to say. So I, I believe that that's what God is doing here today. And Paul really gives us some things here in the text to show us what we can be in order to be the church. Um, if you look at verses 17 through the end of chapter 4, um, some of the versions of your Bible might even kind of segment that section of Scripture out and maybe even title it The New Life. I don't know how many of you have study Bibles or whatever. But really the whole content there verses 17 through 19, Paul is reminding us as believers, what is the behavior of someone who is not a believer? And so there he, he kind of says some things like that. Uh, he says now, in verse 17, he says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart he he reminds us as the church that we should have an expectation that the lost will act lost and so we shouldn't require them uh, maybe an additive that we can add on to this we shouldn't require them then to act saved in order to come to church uh, we should expect a lost person to act lost and so a lot of times we can't just conform them and say you have to act saved before you can come in here we want to have an expectation that someone who doesn't know the Lord will act accordingly. And so Paul is warning us, you shouldn't walk that way anymore, believer, but this is how people walk when they're not in the Lord. Verses 20 through 24, he describes that transformed life. He talks about us being transformed. And even in verse 23 uh, and 24, he says, and... Um, Actually, go back to verse 21 in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21. He says, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, 
to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. He's saying now, from verse 25 to verse 32, I'm assuming the audience that I'm talking to has believed this, and you have put away the old life, and you have put on the new life. And so he then begins in verse 25, which is where we'll read through the end of the chapter, and then we'll go back and we'll pick out some things that Paul has for us to be in order to be the church. Verse 25 of Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll read through the end. Therefore, having put away falsehood, each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, being honest or doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that is may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray and then we'll get right into the text. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to open up your word. We thank you for the labor and the Holy Spirit leading and uh, direction of, of Paul to the churches in Galatia and Ephesian, uh, in Ephesus and Philippi and all of the other churches. And Father, we thank you that your word is true and that it is a director of our lives. And so, Father, we ask now that we would see how to be the church even more genuinely and more openly and more authentically than ever before. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I think if we look at verse 25, he says, all right, in verse 21 through 24, he says, all right, if you, I'm assuming at this point that everyone that is listening to me is now a believer and you have been transformed in the gospel. And so, that's why he leads with therefore. So, all of that proceeding. Now, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth to his neighbor, for we are members one of another. The first thing that we can be if we want to be the, truth, be the church is that we can be honest. We can be honest. And being honest doesn't just mean, you know, if my wife says, do these jeans look good on me? And I say, no, not really. That's not just on. That's being honest. That's also being dangerous. But it's being honest. But being honest about the fact that we need a Savior. That we are a people who are continually in need of a Savior. We're continually in need of grace. We're continually in need of the Gospel in our life. And we should be honest about that. We should be honest 
with our friends and our neighbors about the truth. About the truth. And we should honestly be willing to say, man fell and God made a way and Jesus is that way. And we should be willing to tell them the truth. No matter what. The true source of love is truth. If we really love someone, we tell them the truth. Now, their willingness to believe that and accept that is really, on the, is really on the plate of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit draws whom he will. He convicts where he will and when he will. But it is our job to be honest and to speak truth. Not speak moralistic change, not speak behavior management, but actually speak the truth to our neighbors. So we should, as a people, be honest. And we should be honest about our needs and their needs. And we should be an honest people. In verse 26, he then says, right after saying, all right, let's be honest, let's be real, let's speak the truth. He then goes on and he says that we should be angry, but not sin. That's interesting. Let's look at verse 26. He says, be angry and do not sin. I'm going to put a pause there for a second. So we should be real, okay? We should be honest. Verse 25, 26, we should be real. Because no one in this room right now, no one who would ever listen to this message maybe on the internet five years from now, no one can say, well, I don't get mad. No one can say that. No one can say, I don't get angry. And Paul's actually giving us a little bit of permission to be angry about some of the things he was talking about earlier. Verses 17 through 19, where he's describing the lost person's life, and he's saying they're in darkness. We can be angry and and angry at the result of sin. That's okay. But Paul is saying you can be angry, but don't sin in your anger. Jesus was a good example of being angry and not sinning when he drove the money changers out. And he 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 was angry with Satan and his constant uh, barrage of attacks on his people, but he didn't sin. Jesus never sinned in his anger. And Paul is reminding us that in order to be real, in order to be real and honest with people, we have to be honest about the fact that we get angry. I remember growing up and I, I was kind of, I was churched, but I, I, I went to church, but I didn't know Jesus. And I can remember when I would see some of the people that were uh, the older people in my church, when I would see them out at a gas station or I would see them outside of the hall, the walls of the church, and I'd see them get mad. Because on Sunday morning, all I ever saw was the smiles and everybody was so happy and they were hugging each other. But then I'd see them out at the gas station and I'd see them lose it with a cashier. And I'd think, wow. That guy gets mad? I've never seen him mad before. That's totally crazy to me. So as the church, as followers of Christ, we have to be real with people. We have to be able to share with people that things make us angry. But we don't want to sin in that anger. We need to know how to respond to anger that arises. And we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more when we get down to, to the end of the verse. But if we look at verse 
20, uh, the, the second half of 26, he says in the beginning, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So he says here are two more things to us. He says, be reconcilers. Be reconcilers. Now we find ourselves in a, in a, in a fantastic opportunity in which to present reconciliation. God is the ultimate reconciler, right? He reconciled us to himself through the, the sacrifice of Jesus. He set the example of reconciliation. And we, as the Western American church right now, have a beautiful opportunity to be reconcilers. We have found that our nation has been divided over some very entrenched issues. Even the church finds themselves divided over some of these very entrenched issues. Yet we should not be someone who digs into the right side or the left side of the battlefield. But we should stand in the middle of the trenches with open arms to both sides saying, Jesus is a reconciler. There is some ground that is between us that can be made up. There are some things that we can do. Yes, I hear you. I hear what you're saying. Yes, I hear, I hear what you're saying. I lament over those pains. I lament over those pains. And then we're able to speak the truth to both sides and reconcile some things. The church shouldn't dig into one side or the other. They should be a reconciler of the two sides. And they should be saying, yes, here's where I see Jesus in your argument. Here's where I see Jesus in your argument. Here's where the Word of God can bring us together on this subject. Rather than digging in and taking a side and being an enemy, but we should be a reconciler. Paul warns us, don't, don't let the sun go down on our wrath. Don't, don't, let, don't let that happen. Because, he follows right up with, don't give an opportunity to the devil. Don't give an opportunity to Satan to do what he does best, and that's divide and to cause confusion. And so I think as the church, we should, verse 25, be honest. We should, verse 26, be real. And the second half of verse 26, be reconcilers. And 27, we should be alert to our true enemy. And that is our adversary, the devil who seeks to cause confusion and division. And so we should, as the church, be reconcilers, but we should be alert that when we are not pointing people to Christ, we're pointing them away from Him. If we're not pointing someone to Christ, we're pointing them away from Him and we're giving opportunity to the devil. This is a bold statement, but when our politics become our God, then we are pointing people to our politics and not to our Savior. And so we, we have to be overly careful that we are not pointing people away from Christ, but that we are pointing them to Christ. And so we should give no opportunity to the devil at all. Be reconcilers, be real, be honest. That means we, when we're, just last night I was in town with about eight of my old youth group from uh, two churches ago when I was the youth pastor there. Some of those were my own kids. Some of them were kids that grew up with my children. And we were just having a little reunion. My wife's birthday is today. And so last night we were celebrating my wife's birthday with all of these young 20-somethings, right? The millennials, if we want to label them as, as the world has labeled them. And I'm sitting at a table full of these young people. 
And I'm just listening to them be real about what they're struggling with, what they're, what they're getting fired up about, what their new passions are. And I'm, I'm watching as my wife is being a reconciler. I mean, even the, these are kids that grew up together, and they were, they were even at times at odds on certain things, world issues and country issues and things. And I watched as my wife, she stood in the middle, not literally because that would have been weird in the restaurant, but as, as she just began to speak about the Lord and where, where is your heart in that? Why are you fighting so hard for that? And I watched her as she brought that table together. She just kind of melted that table together and brought them back to what their commonalities were. And all of them sitting at that table were believers. And she, she brought them back to realize what bonds us all together is the Holy Spirit. What is dividing us right now is we're giving opportunity. My wife actually used the term, we're giving opportunity to the devil right now. We're giving opportunity to the devil. I actually offered her to come preach today. No, I'm just kidding. But I watched that happen just 24 hours ago. As my wife was the church. And she reconciled. And she was alert to see that there was division happening. And she brought back the commonality of what was around that table. And it was the love of Christ that truly bonded all of those people together. If we continue on in verse 28, Paul kind of shifts gears a little bit and he throws this left hook at us a little bit. He tells us what we should be. We should be honest and real, be reconcilers, be alert. But then he goes on and he, he throws this right in the middle. Verse 28. He says, oh, I'm sorry, let me find it. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So verse 28, he says, let the thief no longer steal. That's the first thing he says. Second, he says, but rather let him labor performing with his hands what is good. And then he says, thirdly, let the aim of this labor be so that you can give to those who are in need. So there's a progression here there's this progression from an inferior to a superior way. And so let's break it down just for a second. This is a lot of kind of dissecting of one verse. But if we look at it, the very first thing he mentions is don't steal. That's pretty clear, right? We don't want to steal. That's a given. We teach our kids that from the very beginning. Uh, you know, when I, one of my sons was seven years old and we were in Walmart and he walks out with something because he wanted it and he knew my answer was going to be no and we get to the car and he's like i'm going to sit in the back this time are you now that's interesting because i've seen you fight almost to the blood to get into that front seat and it's interesting now that you want to go all the way to the back of the van all right go ahead and ride in the back of the van and as i heard the paper crackling open i knew something wasn't right he wanted to be far away and he wanted to be in secret and so we made him go back in and apologize and you know of course you know the dad and me i'm going well they lock you up they lock you up it's not my problem there's consequences to everything that you do my wife's like i don't think he's gonna do five to life for stealing the toy 
So we teach our kids real early, don't be a thief. Don't steal. That's really clear. He says, that's illegal. That's, that's, not, even, that's not even satisfying. So you can be driven by greed and you can steal. But then the second part, he says, but rather let him labor, performing with his hands what is good. Because kind of the second idea here is that greed can lead you to stealing, yes, but greed can also lead you to earning with the wrong attitude. And so he finishes up with, let this aim be, let let it be that you earn in order to meet someone's needs. So Paul is saying to us, we should be giving. That's the other thing he said. said, We should be giving. We should be a giving people. The church should be giving. But he's saying, what, what will happen is, if we understand why we earn, it helps direct our entire worldview. Because if we earn with the mindset of getting and trickling out things periodically, we're earning not in a good way. But if we're earning for the idea that everything I earn, I'm going to give. I'm going to meet as many needs as I can. We should earn in order to give, not earn in order to have. And I think Paul is trying to remind the church that, hey, we should have a temporary mindset of the earth, of our existence here. And if we earn with the idea that we're going to give everything away, it changes, it, it changes our whole world outlook. Rather than earning in order to have, we earn in order to give. So needs now become the driving force of our earning rather than wants. When we look out and we say, I want this, I want this, I want this, and I'm going to get a job or I'm going to get a career or I'm going to do things in order to get what I want, Paul's saying, don't do that. See what the needs are and earn according to the needs. Earn with a needs mindset, not a wants mindset. Because it'll change your whole attitude. It'll change everything. When Paul in uh, Corinthians, he was likening us to tents. And I think I shared on that a couple times ago when I was here. About being temporary. And about being uh, absolutely movable. And how Paul describes us as being tents, not buildings. We have permanency coming. It's it's the hope. It's the future. But if we earn with the mindset of giving rather than the mindset of having, it changes our whole worldview. So Paul is saying, be giving. Earn with the mindset of the needs and not the mindset of your wants. So... That's totally revolutionary to what we're taught around us in the world. We're to assess our wants, set our goals, and get what we want by getting this, getting this career, having this job, making this business, doing these things. But if we look at the needs of the world, for we're the hands and feet of Jesus. We just sang a song, uh, take my life and let it be consecrated. And the verse says, take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. That's what, that's what we just sang. 
So our mindset should be one of the needs are what drive what I do so that I can meet people's needs rather than fill a bucket of my wants. So as the church, verse 25, we should be honest. Verse 26, we should be real. Uh, The second half of 26, we should be reconcilers. 27, we should be alert. 28, we should be giving. And 29 is interesting. When I shared this with my church, they, they chuckled a little bit. We'll see if you guys have the same sense of humor. We should throw up a lot as Christians. We do. As people, we throw up all the time. We, when, when we were kids and we could ride our bikes to the local store, when we just got paid from our job of whatever we were mowing grass or washing cars or whatever it was, I remember in the summers I was entrepreneurial, so I would buy all this candy and I would shove all that candy down and then I would ride those hills back to my house, right? What happened when I got to the front yard? You look at our spiritual life the exact same way. What we're taking in we're spewing out. We're, we're, we're throwing it back up. Especially if we're taking it in, in, in excess, we're definitely spewing it out. So watch what Paul says in verse 29. Verse 29, he says, Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So this isn't just limited. My my grandfather used to throw this one at me all the time because I was a potty mouth, okay? And I spent much of the beginning of my adult life in the United States Army and and then as a drill sergeant. So I had a a pretty nasty mouth, okay? And I still do. Be honest, be real. I still have a problem with that sometimes, especially when I get really elevated. Sometimes I puke the wrong stuff. And the Lord really worked on me in this in my transformation as I transformed in the gospel and my my grandfather was always one that would say to me hey don't let any corrupt communication come out of your mouth and I would say like never cuss it's not just limited to cussing it's not just limited to even foul language what Paul is saying is that we should never have corrupt talk coming out of our mouths What we should be doing, and this goes back to being a reconciler, is that our speech should be that which people receive grace from it. And the only we should be spewers of grace. That's what that's what our next one is. The church should be spewing grace. It should be so in us, we should be taking in so much grace reading the Word, loving on our neighbors, caring for our family, caring for our neighbors, asking constantly for the Lord to forgive us for yet another mess up. We should be taking in so much grace that as we ride the lives that we live, we're spewing out grace. We're we're coughing it up. When we speak, you you ever had somebody that when you hear their voice, you go, oh no. Oh, no, not that person. I hear their voice. I used to work in this one building, and there was this very agitating individual. I will leave them genderless and nameless. But this individual had a voice and that shook you to the core when you heard it. Because nothing that ever came out of that individual's mouth was ever encouraging 
It was never uplifting. It was never nice. And when you heard that person's voice, you began to flee. You wanted to get away from it. We should be the opposite of that. We should be the opposite of that. When we speak, somebody should say, oh, I want to hear what they have to say. Can people say that about you? Can people say that about you? I really want to hear what this person has to say. On It doesn't matter what the topic is. It doesn't matter what the topic is. Sometimes when we entrench ourselves in certain ideologies other than Christ, then nobody wants to hear anything we have to say except when it has to come to church or except when it has to come with, with punishment or except when it has to come with behavior modification. They don't want to hear what you have to say about anything else. But when we're spewers of grace, the topic doesn't matter. They want to hear what you have to say. They want to hear the grace that's pouring out of you on political topics, on family topics, on relationship topics. They want to hear what you have to say. Paul is saying, don't let corrupt communication escape your mouth, but be spewers of grace. What we do should be building up, not tearing down. What we should do is share with that neighbor of ours that doesn't know the Lord, and rather than tear them down for their lifestyle, give them hope of what a transformed life in Christ looks like, rather than beating them down for where they are currently, but give them hope. And so we should be spewing grace. The church should be spewing grace. We should be vomiting grace all of the time. We should be taking it in so much that we can't even keep it in anymore. We have no choice but to spew it out. And Paul is saying that's what our communication should be. Our communication should be building up, not tearing down. And then lastly, he goes in and he says, there's a couple last things that if we're going to be the church, this is what we got to be. Verse 30, he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. When the Holy Spirit speaks, respond. When he says do something, do it. Be obedient. Obey Scripture. Obey leadership. Obey the Lord. Obey church. Obey the Holy Spirit. You know how you'll know when your leadership's not right? They'll grieve the Holy Spirit. If we're in the Word and we're in constant communication with the Holy Spirit, I always tell people at the well, I am not perfect. I have an expectation that the people that gather with me on a Sunday will also hold me accountable to the Word and to being sure that I'm responding in the Holy Spirit to things. Be obedient. The Holy Spirit knows what he's doing. <laughs> does that come as a surprise to anyone? He does things so differently than we would normally do them. Anybody have any thought in their mind right now of a situation in your life where you say, man, I totally would have done that differently, but God worked it out. You can nod your head up and down. I'm, I'm, I'm living in Nelson County because of that. I'm not, I totally would have picked a different place than this, but yeah. So we have to listen to the Holy Spirit. 
God's primary forms of communication are prayer, scripture, and the fellowship of the saints. He speaks to his creation. He speaks because he's God. But his, where we really hear from God is prayer, scripture, and the fellowship of the saints. That's why gathering together like we do on Sunday is not just to come in and, and listen to some songs and, and say hi and check on each other. We could do that at the YMCA. It's about gathering together and communicating with God through his people. What's God doing in your life? What's God doing in your life? Wow, God's sending you in that direction. Wow, God's sending you in that direction. And he's communicating with his people. And he's giving opportunity for us to be obedient to his call in our life. And so we can't uh, reject the Holy Spirit and just blindly go into something. So Paul says, all of this is for naught if we don't listen to the Holy Spirit. And so listen to him. And if we do all of these other things, he kind of shows us at the end of the chapter this, this end result. You look at verse 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. He's saying, be obedient, verse 30. And verse 31 and 32, he's saying, be forgiving. The church needs to be a forgiving entity. An entity that is grace-spewing, that is obedient to the Holy Spirit, that is giving, that is alert, that is a reconciling uh, body, that is real, and that is honest. No more playing church. We are real and honest. And we show the grace we've received by offering that grace as well. We show the forgiveness we've received by forgiving. Here's an easy way to, to forgive somebody. Sin is not against you. Someone cannot sin against a sinful being. You can only sin against the perfect God. And so all sin is against God. It's not against you. So when someone hurts you, when someone says something ugly about your family, when somebody uh, demeans you, they're really not sinning against you because you yourself are imperfect. You yourself are unholy. So all sin belongs to God. All sin is against God. He paid for it with the blood of His Son on that hill many, many thousands of years ago. He paid for that. So all sin against us isn't against us. It's against God. That, believer, is how we can constantly forgive people. Now, I'm not saying be boundaryless and, and allow people to continually walk all over you, but you should forgive. We should be a body that is forgiving. And the Holy Spirit would direct us to forgive someone for a sin that they have committed against us, but ultimately, sin is not against us. So believer, Paul is saying, these are the things that we can be. We can hashtag be the church all we want, 
But are we being the church? Are we being real with our neighbors and with our co-workers and with our family members? Are we really being honest with them about the struggles that we have and the needs that we have as a, as a believer? Are we honestly being reconcilers and trying to bring parties together rather than keep them apart? And are we alert that in not doing so, we are giving opportunity to the devil? And then our mindset, our total worldview can change when we get the idea that we earn in order to give rather than earn instead of having. And that will lead us to spew grace, to be obedient to the Holy Spirit, and be a forgiving people. I just challenge us as body of Christ, as, as believers, as followers of Christ, that if we really want to be the church, if we really want to have an impact on a lost, dark world, we already have an expectation of how they're going to behave. We should have a heart of reconciliation and a desire to forgive and not be a divider, but be a uniter. That's what the church should be. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to to share your word, to see actual practical ways that we can be your bride, that we can be your church, that we can actually have an impact on people without isolating them, but that we can be among them and we can be real and honest and truthful. And we can desire to bring people together rather than to divide them. And so God, we just ask that you would work in the hearts of every believer in this room, every person that hears this. Father, perhaps there is someone who has been on the fringe of belief in you. They're not really sure because they haven't seen your church actually be your church. They've seen somewhat the opposite of this. So Lord, I pray for the body of Christ as a whole, beyond Roxfish Valley Baptist and beyond the well and beyond the borders of Nelson County, but the, the, the church as a whole, that we would be followers of you, that we would display the beauty of your church and what it means to be the church so that maybe that person who has been on the fringe of belief will see what it means to follow you and Lord, I pray if there's anyone in this room like that right now, that they would settle that indifference right now, that you would be reconciled to them through their faith in Jesus Christ, through their faith in your finished work on the cross, Jesus. And Lord, I pray for those who are listening now and who are present here, that they would reignite their desire to be the church. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for communicating that word to us today. In Jesus' name, amen.